It has been a month since I preached, and I forgot how to do it. <laughs> but I was excited about doing my message this week, and somebody said to me, so Pastor Stan, are you preaching this week? And I said, yes. And they said, oh. <laughs> and I said, it hasn't been a month. Is something wrong? And they said, well, I just was hoping I was going to get to hear Alona this week. Alona will be back in a couple of weeks when I am in Ohio for Todd and Hope's wedding. Alona does an awesome job, and I like to hear her too. And I also enjoy when she preaches that I don't have to prepare a message that week, and it gives me a little bit of extra time to do some other things. But I do want you to know that I have spent a good deal of time getting ready for the fall, and I'm very excited about things that are happening here at Faith Community Church. The last couple of years, I have been taken up with being involved with both our site here and also over in Duxbury, and Pastor Josie is fully taking responsibility for all of the affairs at Duxbury, and so each Sunday, and especially now that we're moving to two services, I will be only here on Sunday mornings. We're starting our new worship, our, our new sermon series, which I'm calling Everybody Wants to Be Happy Because Everybody Wants to Be Happy but it's also because we're going to be looking for the next nine weeks for all of September and October at the Beatitude. And when I think of the fact that everybody wants to be happy, I realize that that's not just a cliche saying. That is true, and it's intrinsic to us as Americans. Our very Declaration of Independence has these words that we all learned when we were in elementary school. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. An unalienable right to be happy. So what's wrong? You know what's wrong is Americans are growing less happy every year. Now I can stand and say that as a pastor and people can say, oh yeah, sure, why do you say that? I say it because there have been so many studies that have been done on how people feel about the quality of their life and right down to their happiness. We now poll on everything, and we even have something that's called the World Happiness Report. I bet you didn't know it. But it got reported this last March in a number of newspapers because this survey began, and it wasn't only of Americans, but it was people all over the world testing people's happiness. It started in 1990, and every year since 1990, the quality of Americans' happiness has declined. There was a belief that when we got through the Great Recession of 2008 and 9, and the economy got better, that things would be on the upswing, but one of the reasons it became a newsworthy report this last year is because Americans' happiness continued to go down. In fact... Since the study began, the number of unhappy Americans as a percentage of our population has increased by 50%. Think about that. All the stuff that we do in our society, building ourselves up to say we are a nation that pursues the pursuit of happiness, and yet Americans are not a very happy people. There was also, more recently, a study of Facebook users how many of you use social media in any capacity? Come on, raise our hands at this point. 
nice and high. Let's be proud of the fact that we are making ourselves unhappy. Because what they discovered is the more you press like, the less happy you are. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? Oh, I'm only on here telling everybody else how great they're doing, but what we discover is the more that you do that, you compare yourself to other people, and you feel worse about yourself. That doesn't mean only go on Facebook and don't give likes. It means be aware of that. And by and large, people who spend more than an hour a day on social media are a very unhappy group of people in our country. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Because we've all been there, and we've all compared ourselves to someone else. And so this morning, we begin the Beatitudes. It's one of the most important teachings on happiness in the Scripture. And that's what it's about. It's about learning how to really be happy, not to fall for the stuff that society wants to give us, not to be deluded into thinking somehow that our American culture or money or or being wealthier than other nations is going to make us happy, but it gets to the spiritual core of how we are created and what is true in our lives. And one of the things as we go through these nine Beatitudes that you're going to hear over and over again is also our first point of our message this morning is that happiness is actually promised to us by God. A lot of people don't believe that. When Jesus says, blessed are, and he then puts something after it, as he does this morning with this morning's text, blessed are the Blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's promising happiness. He's promising that we will be blessed, we will be happy if we understand these things that the scripture talks about. And these nine promises or these nine observations or these nine teachings by Jesus get to the core of what really can make us happy, not the stuff that we think will make us happy. The very word blessed is the Greek word makarios. It's used 50 times in the New Testament, and it gets translated either blessed or happy. So what Jesus is in, in fact saying is happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we hear the word blessed, let's think the word happy because it gets to the core of what true happiness is. Half the time this word happy or blessed, this, this Greek word makarios is used in the New Testament, it's used by Jesus himself. He's promising and telling us over and over a different way to live our lives and that if we would learn to live our lives this way, we'd really be happy. We would view things differently and all of the things that now preoccupy us, that promise us happiness, that never deliver, get replaced with spiritual values that do make us happy. Now, if you are here this morning and you don't want to be happy, you may not. You may just be Eeyore, and you may like to just be grumpy all the time. You can leave at this time. But for the rest of us who actually want idea, want to be happy in life, it's important for us to get 
to Jesus' teachings. Half the time it's talked about. It's talked about Jesus. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, I won't go fully into the text, but basically says, we will be happy when we learn to live life on life's terms. When we quit trying to change everything and think that our situation has to be different, but we can learn to stay and be content in our situation, he talks about that elsewhere in his letters. I've learned to be content in all situations. He's talking again about makarios, about being blessed, about learning to be happy, not changing the circumstances out there, not thinking I need one more thing to get, get me fulfilled and happy, but to discover it right here inside our own skin. Every single one of us is promised that if we learn to live the right way and we learn to spiritually live the way Christ teaches us, we will be happy. James even goes further in his epistle. He writes this letter and he writes about how tough life can be. And then he says in James chapter 1, verse 12, happy are those who remain steadfast during times of trials. How many of you have ever had a trial in your life? How many of you ever had anything go wrong? How many of you have had a perfect life? We don't. We aren't perfect. There are difficulties and struggles and things that happen that we don't want to have happen. And now James says the same thing that his brother Jesus said, and he says, you can be happy. Happy is the one who remains steadfast. Not by changing their trials, but during the times of trials. They're not just promising us that we can be happy once the trial's over, but even in the midst of it. But it's a different form of happiness. Because remember, when happy is used 50 times in the New Testament, the problem is we don't fully understand happiness. Because we see happiness as our emotions at that moment. And it's much deeper than that. It's learning to get to the point where we're content, where we live under God's blessing, we understand that life is how life is, we learn to become joyful and obedient in the midst of whatever we're facing. It was back in the 1980s that Robert Schuller wrote one of my favorite books. He called it The Be Happy Attitudes. It's a book written on these same Beatitudes. And in it, he tells the story of a friend of his who wanted a Ferrari. He said the guy had decided that the one thing he wanted in life was a beautiful Ferrari, so he saved as much money as he could, and he made every sacrifice he could because he knew when he got his Ferrari, what was it going to be, folks? Happy. So he saved money, and he made sacrifices. And eventually, he bought his Ferrari, and he felt so good when he drove it off the lot that day. And he said, my friend felt really good until he got the oil change for the first time. And then he discovered that they charge a lot more money to, to change the oil in that Ferrari than he ever had to pay in his other car. And that started to trouble him. And then one day he said his friend had his car out and it was in a shopping mall. And guess what happened? Somebody opened their door. He came out and he looked at his car and guess what was wrong? Had a little dent in it. Started noticing it was getting dents and scratches, and then all of a sudden he's thinking about how much money he'd invested in the Ferrari and how expensive it was, and he started getting anxious, and he started being miserable. And one day he went to Robert Schuller and he said, I don't know if I can ever be happy. Robert Schuller's point was, no, that's not what happiness is. Happiness is not something that we find in the material possessions we have. In fact, 
Schuller put it this way, riches will never make us happy, recognition will never ha make us happy, and human relationships will never make us happy. The reason is because riches will only concern us and we will become like the guy with the Ferrari. Recognition will never help us because you may get 105 likes on that photo you put on Facebook, but somebody else got 110, and once you compare yourself, boom, you lost once again. How many times do people post something and then obsessively go and look at whether or not they're being recognized? And relationships, he said, will never make us happy, and we all know it, because if we look to somebody else to be that perfect person to fulfill our lives, we are putting on them something that can never happen because that God-sized hole in our life can only be filled by faith and God. And there has only been one perfect spouse, and Regina's married to him. Happiness is promised by God. But it's a different kind of happiness. Because it's not about that emotional feeling like we're better than someone or finally have something. It's a deepness that comes in our life. And Jesus explains it comes with faith. Happiness comes with faith. Verse 3 also says, Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. That, folks, is called an oxymoron. Two things that look as if they are different, but they have to go together to have the idea conveyed. I was standing downtown Plymouth a couple years ago, and this very cute couple were down there. I'm not sure if they were dating or they had recently been married, but they were just one of these lovely couples. You've seen them, and they were walking along the little boardwalk down there and going over towards... Um, down by the, the fish places down there, like by woods. And they stopped, and they were right beside me. And he or she said something, I don't remember which one, and the other one said, oh, ha, 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 that's an oxymoron. And the other person said, that's just our word, isn't it? Oxymoron, two things that don't go together, that just work out. And I thought, how cute you are. I wonder how you're doing today. <laughs> two things that don't go together that need to be together. That's what Jesus is giving us. Happy is to be poor in spirit. See, we say the opposite. Happiness must come from riches. Happiness must come from having more. Happiness must come from possessions. Jesus says, no, happiness comes from poor. It comes from poverty, only poverty of spirit. Of spirit. Why? Because to be truly poor means a person acknowledges their need for help. When a person genuinely understands their poverty, they're able to realize they can't do it on their own. And that, again, becomes a problem with many Americans because we somehow think that we need to be completely self-sufficient and we need to do it ourselves and we're unwilling to ask for help. And so Jesus uses this as an example of giving true happiness when he basically says, poor in spirit equals happiness acknowledging that I am not the great I am, acknowledging I don't have to be better than others, acknowledging that I don't have to have what everyone else has, but what I need is a dependence upon God, then we start finding our happiness in life. One who acknowledges that they lack spiritually is also the person who asks God for help. 
Because if I am not self-contained and able to have it all and possess it myself, I go to God and let God fulfill my life. And I turn my cares, my concerns, and my problems over to God, the things that I can't fix anyhow, and I learn to start being content in every situation, which is why our World Happiness Report is really interesting because it actually only found that there's one group of people who are growing in happiness. I didn't say it. The world said it. It's people of faith. People of faith are growing in happiness while others aren't. That came from a survey of people all over the world. When we live by faith, when we have a spiritual depth to our lives, when we can see our relationship in terms of my relationship to a loving, gracious God who, no, is not frowning at us, but loving us and caring for us, we can start finding that happiness that Jesus talks about. That's why this month is a month of recovery. We certainly want to share things that we learn in working in recovery and with people whose lives are changing. And one of the things I love to talk about is you need to surrender to win. Surrender to win. Again, an oxymoron. No, we get all preoccupied with winning and being stronger and being better than everyone else. But what we learn is until a person is willing to surrender, until a person is willing to say, I am utterly, completely defeated, and I don't want to keep digging that hole any deeper, we just keep pushing God out. Because we think we're rich in spirit, and in reality, it's our poverty of spirit, of spirit we need to acknowledge. And so if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, which I hope you do, I usually try to give assignments as we go through these Bible studies on Sunday morning, which I hope these become a study of the Scripture. Well, if all you read through is the Beatitudes, you're only getting about 13 verses of Matthew's Gospel. So I challenge you in the next two months, read through the Gospel of Matthew. Just keep reading through it. Just take your time and keep reading through it. Because the same themes that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, he brings up elsewhere in Matthew, because they were part of Jesus' teachings, he continues to point back to them. And if you look, and you don't have to turn with me, trust me, and read it later, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus again teaches on the kingdom of heaven. He says, I want you to understand the kingdom of heaven a little bit deeper. And what we find in the story of the kingdom of heaven is there are two things that are put back to back, two stories. The first one is these kids who come to Jesus. And a bunch of little children start approaching Jesus, and what do the disciples do? They push him aside. Don't waste Jesus' time, they say. <laughs> the master has important people to teach here. You know, there, there may be a law professor or a doctor who's coming, and Jesus stops the disciples and says, Whoa, stop it. Let those children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You see, kids are not perfect. Amen? Kids are not perfect. Amen? Kids can be irritating. Kids can ask a million questions. Kids can make all kinds of mistakes and a whole lot of noise. But Jesus says they are the very example of what the kingdom of heaven is because they also acknowledge their dependence and need to be connected to an adult. We need to acknowledge that same thing. We all need to be connected to an adult too. 
ultimately God, our Heavenly Father, but also to other adults who can help us. Again, it gets to that idea, poor in spirit. So on the one hand, in Matthew 19, Jesus gives us, this is the joy and happiness in life. Learn to be like a child and learn to have faith. And then the story turns, and immediately the rich young ruler comes and approaches Jesus right after that. And with the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, there's all these things that I need and I'm not happy. I've got all this wealth and all this important stuff in my life, but I'm not happy. And Jesus is easy. Fix your mic. Jesus says, all you need to do is take everything that you have and give it away. All you got to do is take everything you have and give it away. And then the Bible tells us that the man went away grieving because he owned much property. So on the one hand, these children come to Jesus, and Jesus says, here's the example of faith, and here's how we find happiness. We become like children and childlike and dependent on others. And immediately, Jesus is approached by a rich man. And the problem with the guy with all his wealth is he thinks he's okay. He thinks everything he has is going to bring him satisfaction in life. In hell, he's still not satisfied. And Jesus says, the only way it's going to work for you is you've got to get that stuff out of the way. And the guy can't do it because he owns much property. Jesus does not ask us to be broke. He asks us to be broken in our spirit. He asks us to acknowledge our need for God and quit thinking that we have to have it all or do it all or be better than others because our happiness that comes from faith is from God's kingdom, which is ultimately from heaven. We will not find the happiness we want in life from things around us. There is no possession that you and I can gain. There is no amount of money that we can amass. There is no lottery ticket that we can buy that will change our life in such a way that we will become happy. But once we live our lives by faith, acknowledge our dependence upon God, and start seeking God's kingdom, which comes to us from heaven, we finally discover what it means to surrender, to live. Because when we surrender, we live and we win in God's kingdom. We tend to be consumed with our championships, with being better, with having more, with thinking that somehow if I can compare myself to someone else that is going to make me feel okay, or when I finally get such and such, life is going to turn around, or if I work hard enough to attain this job or this position in life or retire in this manner, that somehow I'm going to have that thing that continues to elude me. And Jesus says it's not there. It's not there. Check your studies. Check your life. Look around at how people live. Jesus promises us real happiness. Real happiness as we learn to be content. As we learn to accept where we are in life and learn to surrender our life and our will to God's will and to become part of the kingdom of heaven. Not the stuff of this world, but God's kingdom. I always find it interesting that Jesus didn't teach about the democracy of heaven, but the kingdom of heaven. I think there's a reason for that. Do you know what's wrong with democracies? People. We're what's wrong. 
The problem with democracies is us. That no matter how hard we work to make things perfect in our democracy, we can never do it because we mess it all up. No matter what election you think is going to change the world or what election you think is going to destroy your country, it never happens because it's always us who get in the way. And so we take two well-intended people and we send them to Washington or Boston or wherever we send them and we tell them to work things out and come to agreements and the problem is we just have failed human beings trying to work stuff out and the same mess comes up over and over. So Jesus doesn't promise us happiness in the democracy of heaven. He promises us happiness in the kingdom of heaven where we still abide. We're still there, but we aren't listening to each other's complaints and wants and frustrations, but we're living under God's guidance, God's realm, God's way of living our lives because left to ourselves, all we have is our own self-interest. And no matter what, time and time again, human beings, we just want it our way. We want what we want. We want it where we want it. And so Jesus promises us happiness in God's kingdom to learn to live his way, to learn to forgive when we don't want to forgive and we don't get a vote on it, to learn to give it up when we don't want to give it up and we're not given a choice. We're told in this kingdom, this is how we'll live. We're told to be content and to be satisfied and to learn to be content in every situation. And we say, well, could I have that reconsidered? And God says, no, I'm the king. You're going to do it our way. And once we learn to live in that kingdom and once we learn that we don't have to have a vote on everything and don't have to have it all our way, we start finding the happiness that God promises to us. Again, we call it surrender to win. We start a teaching on finding happiness. And it's interesting where Jesus begins it. He begins it with poverty. He says, if we enter into this study and we look at these Beatitudes and we don't understand that it begins with our being poor in spirit and acknowledging our need for God, there's nothing else that Jesus can teach us because that's where it all begins. And that's why every single week when we pray, We pray to our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy what? Kingdom. Thy kingdom come. May we learn in the weeks ahead to not think that having everything our way is going to make us happy. To not think that somehow if we just got a vote in it or if God would just answer our prayers our way that finally we would have that happiness that eludes us. But rather may we understand that it is promised to us when we can acknowledge that we need to be poor in spirit. Less like the rich young ruler and more like the children who approach Jesus. Less thinking that somehow if I just get five more likes on Facebook or if I somehow boost the number of people who follow me on Instagram, that somehow I'll finally have that approval that I need? Or if somehow I could just acquire one more thing or just get the position where I could be the boss or somehow rule it over someone else so that they can finally listen to me as opposed to me listening to them once and for all, that somehow it'll make a difference. That's not what Jesus promised. His promise to us is very specific. Let's learn to be poor in spirit. Let's learn to acknowledge our need for God in every area of our life and quit fighting and swimming against the stream. 
For when we do, Jesus says we will be makarios, blessed. We will discover true happiness. We end our service today the way we do each Sunday. We end with our closing song and we invite you, if anybody would like to come forward to have time for prayer, we invite you to come forward to the altar. I'm going to ask if Beth and actually Angelica, you're up here, if you could come forward and help with our prayer time. Um, also, Alan Carey, do you mind just coming forward if people would like to come forward? And as we close, if there's anything in your life that you'd like somebody to pray for, perhaps you are having a hard time finding happiness and you just want to acknowledge it once and for all and say, you know, I need to quit trying to do it my way. Perhaps you've never started the journey of really trusting in Jesus and, and being his disciple. One of these people would be more than happy to pray for you with this. So let us stand together and let's sing our closing hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. And as we're singing, I invite if anybody would like to come forward to please come forward for prayer.